Chicago is known for its great sports teams and its lousy sports teams. Granted, they're often one and the same, not just baseball and football, but two hockey teams. I mean, even when they're not having a great season, the Chicago Blackhawks played a large and enthusiastic crowds at the United Center for the National Hockey League, and the Chicago Wolves have their own following. But what about that other hockey team in Chicago's history? I'm Tommy Henry, host of the Chicago History Podcast. Today, we're going to look at a long-forgotten Chicago sports team, the Chicago Cougars, a short-lived hockey team active from 1972 to 1975. We'll also discuss the Peter Pan incident and how this hockey team helped bring about a major event venue. A little background on hockey in Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks, founded in 1926, were part of the original six NHL teams, the only six NHL teams that played for 25 seasons between 1942 and 1967. Gradually, the NHL expanded, teams were added, and now there are currently 24 NHL teams in the U.S. and seven in Canada. Closing in on 100 years, the Blackhawks have developed a longtime following, something that even 50 years ago was not easy to poach. Back on Friday, October 29, 1971, John Syke, president of Chicago Hockey Inc., announced the formation of the Chicago Cougars, a new team being organized under the proposed World Hockey Association. In an article that same weekend in the Wisconsin State Journal newspaper, Sykes said plans for the team included the completion of a $20 million sports complex, which is about $127 million in today's money. A few newspapers incorrectly reported it would be a $200 million stadium, which would have been about $1.2 billion. Oof. Uh, the goal was to have the stadium ready by the opening of the 1972 hockey season. The 12-team World Hockey Association's plan, as stated in the article, was to, quote, woo five players each from the existing National Hockey League teams. We don't envision raiding the NHL, Sykes said, but we know that all NHL players are anxious for the formation of the new league. Other cities that were granted franchises included New York, Miami, St. Paul, Minnesota, two Ohio teams, Columbus and Dayton, Milwaukee, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg. In November of 1971, the Chicago Tribune had an ad welcoming the Chicago Cougars and the WHA, the World Hockey Association, to the Chicagoland area and an announcement that included plans for the development of the Metro Sports Complex near Route 83 and Algonquin Road in the northwest suburbs, right about where Elk Grove Village and Mount Prospect meet. It was to be a twin ice rink so they could, quote, immediately satisfy the great demand for ice time. Ice time, by the way, in quotes and caps. Uh, to organize hockey, figure skaters, speed skaters, and skaters in general, end quote. Scheduled to open in July 1972, I don't believe this place ever broke ground. By January of 1972, talks of building a sports complex to call their own in the northwest suburb of Schaumburg near Woodfield Mall, which had opened the previous year, were not progressing. In February of 1972, the World Hockey Association had a 
preferred draft in Los Angeles, and Stan Makita of the NHL's Chicago Blackhawks was selected for the Chicago Cougars. There appears to have been some initial confusion. Makita was quoted as saying, I still have a year to go on my contract, so I don't know if I could talk to them if I was approached. A surprised WHA spokesman said, We were under the impression Makita's contract would be finished this season. Another Blackhawks great, Bobby Hull, was selected by the Winnipeg Jets. Also in February of 1972, the WHA issued an ultimatum to the Chicago Cougars, letting them know they had two weeks to obtain a playing site for the next year or Chicago might lose the team to another city. Dick Smith, the Cougars' executive vice president, claimed the team was, quote, very close, end quote, with negotiations at the International Amphitheater for a one-year lease with a one-year option until a permanent complex could be built in the northwest suburbs. Smith also claimed an announcement of a coach and a general manager would be made within three weeks. A spokesman for the amphitheater said they had not been in recent contact with the Cougars and that if the team wanted to use the building, quote, furnishing ice will have to be their problem, end quote. It was estimated laying ice at the amphitheater would cost $20,000, but the equipment could be transferred to a subsequent rink. They were also optimistic the amphitheater could seat 9,000 spectators. Uh, the International Amphitheater, which used to be at Halstead and 42nd Street on Chicago's South Side, is probably best known for being the first venue at which the Beatles ever played when they came to Chicago in 1964. Of their three live concerts in Chicago, two were played at the Amphitheater. In an interview in late February 1972, Alan Eagleson, the executive director of the NHL Players Association, voiced his skepticism about the World Hockey Association, saying he felt only half of the 12 would succeed and that he, quote, feels Chicago Cougars would not be one of them, end quote. On March 21, 1972, the Chicago Tribune reported an official from the International Amphitheater confirmed they had a contract in hand for the Chicago Cougars to play their home games at that venue. Finally, in late March of 1972, it was announced that Ed Short, former general manager for the Chicago White Sox baseball team, who had been fired by the Sox in September of 1970, would be the general manager for the Cougars. They still had yet to name a coach or any playing personnel five months after the announcement of the formation of the club. With the Ed Short announcement came word that John Sykes was selling his interest in the Cougars to an attorney named John Ladner. Ladner gained publicity the previous August as the attorney for a group of Native Americans who camped out in protest on the old Nike missile site at Argonne National Laboratory in suburban Lamont. By late June 1972, the Cougars had only signed four players, the most recent being 36-year-old Reggie Fleming, who had played for the Blackhawks from 1960 to 1964 and most recently had been with the minor league Buffalo Sabres. Writer Bob Verdi in the June 30, 1972 Chicago Tribune noted Fleming, quote, built his reputation on ruggedness, end quote, and spent 1,468 minutes in the penalty box in his career. I did the math, that's just under 24 and a half hours in the penalty box. Also in late June, more changes at the top with new investors. Jordan Kaiser and his brother Walter, two real estate investors, put in $1 million to the fledgling hockey team and assumed the role of chairman of the board and president, respectively. 
Jordan Kaiser was quoted as saying, quote, There has been a great demand by fans to see hockey and to obtain tickets in Chicago. I myself had a tough time the last two years getting tickets for Blackhawks games. Now we've got our own club, end quote. Eight full months after announcing the formation of the Chicago Cougars, the team finally got a coach when Marcel Provenost, a defensive man in the NHL for more than 20 seasons, primarily with the Detroit Red Wings, signed on. August of 1972 brought a flurry of activity with numerous player signings and an announcement the Chicago Cougars would open their home season at the International Amphitheater on October 31st against the Winnipeg Jets and former Blackhawk great Bobby Hull. Hull was scheduled to start with the Jets on October 1st, 1972, one day after his Blackhawks contract was to expire. For those of you wondering why, 33-year-old hockey great Bobby Hull would leave the Blackhawks after 15 seasons. The final season before he left, he earned $100,000, just over $600,000 in today's money. The Winnipeg Jets offered him $275,000 per season for 10 seasons. Actually, it was $175,000 per season, but he got a $1 million signing bonus. The Blackhawks, in order to keep him on their roster, offered $200,000 a year for five years. The Chicago Cougars would be kept on the road for the first two and a half weeks of their first season, which had an official start date of October 12th because a circus was in town at the amphitheater. Before the first puck of the official season was dropped, Swedish hockey sensation Ulf Sterner claimed the Cougars had forged his signature on a player contract and when he tried to renegotiate a proper contract, he was released from the team. In front of reporters, he signed a piece of paper to show the difference between his signature and the one on the contract. The contract also had Sterner's hometown in Sweden misspelled on the address line. The Cougars claim Sterner violated training camp rules at their training camp in Hibbing, Minnesota, necessitating his release. The Chicago Cougars' first game against the Houston Arrows ended with a loss of 3-2. On October 26, 1972, Doug Ray of the Daily Herald in Chicago reported the Kaiser Brothers, owners of the Chicago Cougars, expected to make an announcement within six months about building an 18,000-seat arena just north of the Arlington Indoor Tennis Club on Northwest Highway in suburban Palatine on a 15-acre tract owned by the Brothers. Walter Kaiser was quoted as saying, quote, We can't make any money until we get a new stadium. The northwest suburbs is an excellent place for an arena, end quote. On October 31st, 1972, in front of 6,727 fans, the Chicago Cougars won their first ever home game 3-1 to against the Winnipeg Jets. Bobby Hull received his standing ovation but did not play due to a court order that kept him from playing or coaching the team. Fun fact, beer at the amphitheater during Cougars games was 60 cents, less than $4 in today's money, compared to 75 cents at the Chicago Stadium at Blackhawks games. The Cougars finished their first season in last place in the Western Division of the World Hockey Association with 54 points. Cougars defense finished 8th overall, allowing 295 goals, and team offense finished last with 245 goals. The Cougars were part of the Western Division only in their first season and moved to the Eastern Division when the Philadelphia Blazers moved to Vancouver. 
Seemingly undaunted, in May of 1973, the Kaiser brothers pushed the idea of building their stadium close to the Arlington Park Racetrack, a horse racing facility about 35 miles northwest of Chicago. In July of 1973, the Cougars announced the hiring of Pat Stapleton, a defenseman for the Blackhawks for nine years and three times an All-Star, for a contract worth $1 million over five years as a player coach. Stapleton said one of the first players he would contact to try to get him to join the WHA would be hockey great Stan Makita. By the end of 1973, the area for the proposed stadium changed once again, and now a parcel of land in Rosemont, Illinois, near the O'Hare Airport off Mannheim Road, was being considered. With an anticipated completion date of fall of 1975, this new stadium would also host conventions and music concerts. Many of the 55 families living in the Glen Acres subdivision, slated to be the site of the new stadium, felt the buyout offers from the village were too low. Donald Stevens, the mayor of Rosemont, said officials had to go by the appraisals they received. One homeowner told the Daily Herald newspaper he had his house independently appraised for $42,000, but the village offered only $27,000. On the ice, the Cougars went from last place at the end of their first season to making the playoffs at the end of the second season. The initial series against New England went off without a hitch, winning three of the four games. But because no one would have predicted the Cougars would go this far in the season, the International Amphitheater was unavailable for the second round against Toronto as it was playing host to a production of Peter Pan, starring former Olympic gymnast Kathy Rigby. Part of that series ended up being played in Mount Prospect at the Randhurst Twin Ice Arena near the Randhurst Mall, which could only accommodate about 3,000 fans. The Cougars took that series in seven games to move on to play against the Houston Arrows. It should be noted the Houston Arrows had the good fortune of bringing 45-year-old Gordy Howe out of retirement by promising him he could play with his sons Mark and Marty, who were also on the team. Howe, nicknamed Mr. Hockey, spent 25 seasons with the Detroit Red Wings. Howe went on to have a 100-point season with the Houston Arrows, leading the team in scoring and helping them finish with the best record in the league. Strangely enough, the production of Peter Pan moved from Chicago to Houston, which then necessitated the home opener of the Cougars Aero Series to be played in Chicago. By then, the ice-making equipment had been removed from the amphitheater, so that series was also played at the Randhurst Twin Ice Arena. The Arrows swept the Cougars in four games, outscoring them 22-9. to The press had a field day with the whole situation, which is why it is still referred to as the Peter Pan Incident. The fall of 1974 saw lawsuits filed against the village of Rosemont and the Hyatt Hotel chain, claiming Hyatt owner Jack Pritzker and Rosemont Mayor Donald Stevens conspired to delay construction of the new arena, quote, for their own personal gain, end quote. In November of that same year, U.S. District Court Judge Richard Austin threw out the lawsuit filed by the Rosemont homeowners, whose property was set to be condemned for the construction of the new stadium. Village officials said the completion date for the arena, originally scheduled to be sometime in the fall of 1975, would be pushed back to 1976 or 1977 at the earliest. In December of 1974, with attendance dwindling, the new Rosemont Stadium stalled and lawsuits against the village of Rosemont and Hyatt Hotels lingering, the Kaiser brothers walked away from the Chicago Cougars. Quote, 
There's not enough money in the whole world to make this team go without an arena, Jordan Kaiser was quoted as saying. Before the year ended, Pat Stapleton, the former Blackhawk turned player coach, stepped in with new investors and bought the team. By February of 1975, there were rumors of the franchise moving possibly to Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. The Chicago Cougars finished the 1974-75 season third in the Eastern Division and 12th overall with 61 points. They were 10th overall in goals, 4 with 261, and 12th overall in goals against with 261. On May 27, 1975, World Hockey Association President Dennis Murphy and WHA CEO Ben Hatskin announced the Chicago Cougars franchise had been suspended, with players on the roster being absorbed by the league, quote, for future disposition, end quote, according to an article in the Edwardsville Intelligencer. Many of the players from the Cougars went on to play for the expansion team, the Denver Spurs. That team was short-lived as well. By the final season of the WHA, only six teams remained, and unable to keep up with the financial obligations, an agreement was reached between the WHA and the NHL. Under the New Deal, four teams from the World Hockey Association, the New England Whalers, later renamed the Hartford Whalers, the Edmonton Oilers, Quebec Nordiques, and Winnipeg Jets would join the NHL. The other two remaining teams, the Cincinnati Stingers and the Birmingham Bulls, were each paid $1.5 million in compensation. I think of it as go-away money. The proposed arena in Rosemont that would have been home to the Chicago Cougars was eventually finished in 1980, only five years behind, and was named the Rosemont Horizon. It is now called the Allstate Arena and is the home to the Chicago Wolves hockey team of the American Hockey League in addition to hosting music concerts and many other events. Fun fact, there is a Tier 3 Junior A hockey team based in the northwest suburbs of Chicago that plays in the United States Premier Hockey League, the USPHL, which is the largest junior hockey league in the United States. That team takes their name from a former World Hockey Association team from the 1970s called the Chicago Cougars. I'll be posting pictures, ads, and stories that didn't make the cut on the Chicago History Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Give us a follow. Do you have memories of seeing the Chicago Cougars play? Have you held onto a ticket stub or a t-shirt all these years and would love to brag? Feel I missed something or have additional questions about things discussed in this episode? Maybe you have a topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast. If so, send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. In the next episode, we'll be talking Chicago history murder. And in two weeks, just in time for Father's Day, a look at the history leading up to the release of a Chicago movie celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at jschneider152 at gmail.com. As always, like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast and tell a friend. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans. Get out and explore when possible. 
Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. Thanks for listening.